Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with the executive editor of Newsbusters, your host, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome. Happy Valentine's Day. We'll explore how the left celebrates the occasion in a few minutes, but don't be one of those people who says, you know, I just don't say I love you. That's no way to treat your spouse or your parents or your kids just because you know, they know you love them doesn't mean you shouldn't say it. So say it. All right. Our top story today, the New York Times front page, Michael Grinbaum, media reporter. Headline, a press secretary's role is scrutinized as an official is elevated. That's a, that's a little boring headline. This is, of course, about the contretemps between KJP and John Kirby. Story begins. Since the Hamas terrorist attack on October 7, Ms. Jean-Pierre has yielded the spotlight to a lower-ranking official, John F. Kirby. For months, Mr. Kirby has regularly co-hosted her daily briefings, often fielding more questions from journalists than she does and appeared more frequently on major political news programs as the administration's spokesperson. Translation, he's better at this. Mr. Kirby, 60, a retired Navy admiral who previously worked at the Pentagon and the State Department, is better versed in foreign affairs at a time of war in Ukraine and the Middle East. He evinces a clarity and comfort at the lectern that can sometimes elude Miss Jean-Pierre 49. <laughs> he evinces a clarity and comfort at the lectern that she just don't have. Yes, she is called a more rote public speaker with less experience tussling with an adversarial press. Okay, wait. Number one, is this really an adversarial press? Compared to what? I mean, other than Ducey, Heinrich, Wegman, you know, the conservative media, there's a few of those. Everyone in the room voted for Biden. Tussling with an adversarial press is more like what Sean Spicer had to do and uh, everybody who spoke out for Trump. Now, two, she has less experience tussling, but that's just a generous way to put. She's not good at this, and everyone in the room knows it, and everyone watching on television knows it, but you just can't say it. Grinbaum continues, the White House attributes Mr. Kirby's larger role to the flurry of international news and says he will brief less often once the Middle East crisis ebbs. But the perception in Washington that is that President Biden has allowed Mr. Kirby, who is white, to upstage a black woman. Now, look, I had to stop here because... In the New York Times, white is not capitalized and black is. That's the way it goes. Mr. Kirby, who is white, upstaging a black woman as the face of the White House, has turned their double act into a third rail subject. That's fun writing. It's turned their double act into a third rail subject. No one wanted to talk on the record to the New York Times about the black lesbian immigrate, immigrant lady, uh, including the reporters at the White House for the New York Times. I mean, let's face it, the editor's going to say, no, 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 don't talk to any of the New York Times White House reporters. That's going to mess up our access. That's why nobody really wants to comment on this. 
Can't think of many topics I'd like to opine on less, said one Biden supporter and Democratic strategist who deemed the subject too politically and culturally sensitive to discuss with their name attached. (laughs) Chicken, chicken, chicken. Then he refers to a, a press conference last week where it wasn't Kirby, it was Mr. Ian Sams who's a spokesman for the White House Counsel's Office, after all of this Robert Herr report business, Mr. Sams fielded 40 minutes of tough questions. Ms. Jean-Pierre spent about half that time at the lectern. Past press secretaries have deferred to specialist spokespeople on niche matters like investigations and national security. Typically, though, they did not become fixtures at the White House lectern. This is correct. When I was in the Bush White House, you would have a day where National Security Advisor or whatever she was in the first two years when I was there, Condoleezza Rice, she wasn't National Security Advisor yet. She was just an advisor. Condoleezza Rice might come in and address the press, but it wasn't like she was doing the briefing. She had some stuff to say, and maybe she'd take a question or two, but that's nothing like what's going on now, which is Kirby's doing more than half of the briefing. And then on this last occasion, Ian Sams did two-thirds of the briefing. And it clearly signals she is not up to it. And Mr. Kirby's responsibilities are growing, reports the Times. On Sunday, he was promoted to a new position, White House National Security Communications Advisor, which puts him in charge of communications across all executive agencies involved in national security. Jean-Pierre remains the press secretary, although Kirby will now rank alongside her as an assistant to the president, quote-unquote, the highest staff title in the West Wing. Mm. Then there's this story. People giggled at this. At a May 2022 reception on the Truman Balcony held in honor of Jen Psaki's departure, Mr. Biden was speaking with a group of aides when he tried to reassure Ms. Jean-Pierre not to worry about filling Ms. Saki's shoes, according to two people with direct knowledge of their exchange. After all, Mr. Biden told her, you'll have an admiral looking over your shoulder. The president's tone suggested he wanted to be encouraging, the people said, but the comment landed with a thud. Don't worry, you'll be fine. You'll have a white man over there overseeing you. (laughs) A White House spokesman said the president did not make that remark. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, this story kind of closed out. Mr. Grimbaum closed out with several people who are not an adversarial press. Brian Karam formerly of Playboy, now he's with Salon.com, big lefty. They had to bring Brian Karam in to say, still better than Trump. It sure is nice to have two people talking to us who will actually brief us, Mr. Karam said, rather than one person up at the podium insulting us, which is what we had in the last administration. Earth to Karam. You weren't insulting them? The White House reporters weren't insulting the spokesman or insulting the president? When they're asking questions like, how many people have to be dead from COVID before you feel bad? You know, 
Then there's April Ryan. She's now with thegrio.com. Ryan found the gossip about Jean-Pierre and Kirby's sharing of the spotlight to be, quote-unquote, disrespectful, noting the long-standing lack of diversity in the briefing room. Quote, that's a white male-dominated space, and I've had my share of foolishness from that building, said Miss Ryan, who is black, with a capital B. That's the way they wrote it. Ryan, I'm hypersensitive to disrespect toward black women because I know what that feels like and smells like. What does it smell like? <laughs> I thought I would like to know. Smells like rotting cheese. All right. This is, you know, this underlines something interesting, and that is we don't have a lot of this behind the scenes reporting about people jostling for power and influence. That's true. It happens in every White House. And they love doing that under Republican White Houses. And then they say, after they've stirred up all kinds of trouble, they'll say, White House in disarray with a big grin on their face. Yeah, a disarray you're underlining and causing and nudging. You know, they're not doing this very much under Biden. You're not getting a lot of dirt. Um, but once again, Alex Thompson at Axios.com has an interesting piece that came out alongside reporter Steph Kite. Fights, fights, fights over immigration inside the White House. Aboard Air Force One en route to tour the southern border in January 2023, President Biden sat at the head of his conference table and exploded with fury. The president lit into his team, which included then-Deputy Chief of Staff General Malley Dillon. I think she's back in the campaign now. Homeland Security Advisor Liz Sherwood-Randall and other immigration officials. Oh, he's yelling at women. He's exploding with fury at women. That might be sexist. The president demanded obscure immigration data points and vented when his staff didn't have them handy. I'm sorry, that's a nightmare, boss. How are you supposed to know which immigration data points he's going to demand of you? Why don't you hit Google, Mr. President? Anywho, the previously unreported meeting recounted to Axios by three people familiar with the events. You never get these stories with names attached is emblematic of the Biden administration's struggle with the border crisis during the past three years, infighting, blame-shifting, and indecision. Ooh. For example, Vice President Kamala Harris and her office made clear to others in the administration that her responsibilities began and ended with the factors driving people to leave Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. The issue Biden had assigned her to examine. As the migration became more global, the Harris team remained focused on that northern triangle in Mexico. A former Biden administration senior official told Axios, she's been at best ineffective and at worst sporadically engaged and not seeing it was her responsibility. It's an opportunity for her and she didn't feel the breach, didn't fill the breach. So, you can knock Kamala Harris behind the scenes, but you, and especially when you're a former senior official, then you can play the game. Oh, who is this? Ron Klain? You know, <laughs> you want to try to guess who the former official is. 
They say a senior official. That's not always true, as we know from Miles Taylor at the Department of Homeland Security. Young Miles Taylor called a senior official. Anyway, I just like the idea that uh, that they're sniping at each other behind the scenes. That, that we need a little bit more of that. Now, these sorts of stories might read well at Axios, but you're not seeing these make television. You know, once again, if you're at ABC and CBS and NBC and PBS, you don't want to do White House in disarray, especially when it's like Biden doesn't know who's who. Uh, so let's take a look at this. Let's wrap up with this. You know, it's Valentine's Day. There's a lot of weird stuff the left does around Valentine's Day. From MRC TV, The Culture Watch, Tieran Rose Mandelberg says they're using Valentine's Day to sell abortions. Last week, the Carolina Abortion Fund put out a tweet indicating people could send a love note to someone and donate $14 for, quote-unquote, abortion care. I hate that phrase. <laughs> it's February 14. Give somebody $14 to kill their baby. This is the third year in a row the group had people donate money for others to get abortions in the name of their loved ones. Isn't that special? Also, Abortion Fund Ohio cut straight to the point when its group tweeted, Girls don't want flowers for Valentine's Day. They want flowers and abortion on demand. <laughs> Here's some roses. Now kill the kid and let's get on with it. Later they added, Birth control and chocolate and Plan B. Oh my. What are we in the Wizard of Oz? Dorothy is going to put her red slippers together and get an abortion. We Testify, which is a group dedicated to giving women the opportunity to talk about how much they loved their abortion, made Valentine's Day cards to post on its social media accounts. One was a poem that read, <laughs> sorry, roses are red, violets are blue, abortions are cool, I've lost count of mine. I've had quite a few. <laughs> that doesn't rhyme. <laughs> Gosh, these people are shameless. I've lost count of how many abortions I had. Isn't that amusing? No, it's not. It's sick. Then in my email, I get emails from you know all kinds of publicists. Valentine Galentine gift guides. You can get an abortion access benefit album. Yes, we're reaching out to see if you're looking for an item for a Valentine's Galentine's Day gift guide. The benefit album Noise for Now Volume 1 is now available to purchase online and is the perfect gift for indie music lovers slash reproductive justice advocates. Now, I did a, a blog about this on Newsbusters a few months ago. Noise for Now, Volume 1. All the indie stars like Tegan and Sarah do their songs for abortion access, for abortion advocacy groups. Yeah, and Planned Parenthood will do this too. They'll do their shtick for Valentine's Day. Not quite as sick as their shtick for Mother's Day. Over at NPR, this headline, Manny Loves Cayenne, plus... Five facts about queer animals for Valentine's Day. 
Yes, in a Valentine's Day exclusive report, NPR has learned there's currently a gay anteater couple at Smithsonian's National Zoo and Conservation Biology Institute in Washington, D.C. On this occasion, NPR spoke with wildlife ecologist Christine Wilkinson of the Queer is Natural TikTok series for Valentine's Day. Here are some of her favorite facts about queer animals. For example, did you know some deer are non-binary? They call them velvet horns. Somehow I feel like that might become the new uh, razzing term. In the macho locker room and newsbusters. Well, maybe not. At the Washington Post, <laughs> this one, write this one down. Roses are red. The planet is blue. They got to get the climate squeezed in here. Quote, oh, I don't want anything big this Valentine's Day, please. Maybe just 70 pounds or so of carbon emissions. And only if they look perky at the store. The Post writes, the sad truth of life is that every rose has a thorn, and it turns out that the thorn of buying bouquets of roses, grown mostly outside the United States, is a pretty dire environmental downside. Well, that has actual thorns. Hardly romantic. That's Debbie Downer. Wah, wah. Your bouquet of roses is 70 pounds of carbon emissions. <laughs> Go away, Debbie. Then today, the Wall Street Journal front page headline, more people are unattached. That's good for Valentine's Day. It is? I thought it was Love and Romance Day. Subhead, self-gifting is on the rise as consumers enjoy empowerment of treating themselves. The story began, this Valentine's Day, more people are saying I love you to themselves. <laughs> well, how about that? That's not pitiful at all. Look, I always say, people build too many expectations into days like this. So they actually get bummed on February 14 when they were actually fine on February 15 or 13. It's just a day. Don't let Hallmark ruin your day. Whatever the day is, people are like, oh, I didn't have a great Christmas. Well, did you did you say, I didn't have a great December 26? Sometimes I feel like this, you know, as a husband and father, don't put all these expectations on Christmas has to be fantastic. No, it doesn't have to be. You're going to ruin Christmas by saying it wasn't as great a Christmas as you expected. Lower your expectations. Finally, the White House tweeted a picture of Speaker Mike Johnson. This is the White House official Twitter account. That's the one that's supposed to put out the one that does non-controversial, non-political things, wouldn't you think? But they have a picture of Speaker Johnson and hearts and stuff and red background. And the words are, roses are red, violets are blue. The border deal was crushed because of you. Isn't that special? Probably won't be reported because the White House sounds like a bunch of jerks. When people can't come to an agreement on immigration, oh, blame the conservative Republican. Isn't that the way it always is? This is what our liberal media gives us. This is why they're in sync with this White House. 
That's why you're not tussling with an adversarial press because they're not going to criticize you for this tweet like you're a jerk. So if you want to focus on what happens 365 days a year, holidays and regular days, birthdays and very merry on birthdays, you got to come to Newsbusters once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for listening. <laughs>